Welcome to Late Night Murder. We're your hosts. I'm Nicole. And I'm Chase. And this week we'll be going to Lancaster, Pennsylvania, and we'll be talking about the stalking and murder of a 16-year-old girl and the crazy people that have surrounded themselves around her. Okay, so this week we're going back to Pennsylvania. All right. We are going to a little suburb area, really close to Lancaster, Pennsylvania. And this suburb actually sort of separates Lancaster from the Amish community up there. Okay. So I'm going to introduce you to Miss Lori Show. She is a 16-year-old sophomore at Conestoga Valley High School, and she had plans to go to Penn State, most likely to go into nursing or something related to helping people. Okay. So her parents, John and Hazel, they are divorced, but they're on really good terms, like they got the co-parenting down. Lori lives with her mom in an apartment complex, and then her dad's just like in the area living somewhere else. Okay, so does she, she has her... Hazel. Yeah, she has her, like, full-time or what? Uh, it didn't really say what the actual... The custody agreement was? Yeah, yeah it, oh, okay. it, it, it didn't say what the actual custody agreement was. But also, she's 16, and they're all on good terms, so I bet she bebopped whenever, but she mostly lived with her mom. Got it. Okay, so now that we've met Lori, let's meet Michelle. Okay. So, Michelle's full name is Lisa Michelle Lambert. She always just goes by her middle name, Michelle, so that's what I'll call her from here on out. Alrighty. So, Michelle was an 18 or 19-year-old high school dropout. I couldn't figure out if she was 18 or 19 at the time all of this was taking place, so she's somewhere right there. But she had dropped out of high school before finishing. Okay. And she dropped out of high school and went to go live with her on-again, off-again boyfriend, Lawrence Butch Yunkin. Okay. And he is 20 years old at this point. I don't know if he finished high school or not, but Michelle did not. Got it. So Michelle had moved out of her parents' home when they accused her of stealing and moved in with Butch in a trailer in, like, a wooded area. Okay. Before I tell you this... We're going to see if you can see the crazy eyes. <laughs> we got more crazy eyes, huh? We always have crazy eyes. So I want to see what you think. Okay. And then just to give you a little picture while I pull it up, Lawrence Yunkin, so he goes by Butch. I'll call him Butch throughout the rest of this. Okay. He has the mullet of all mullets. All right. Not to... to um stereotype anybody but i feel like if your name is butch you probably have a mullet well that wasn't even his name that's just what he went by yep Kay. that's what happens when you get a mullet they you have to change your name to butch <laughs> it's like you have a mullet you have to 
come up with some nickname like that. <laughs> okay, so here's a picture of Michelle and Butch. What are your thoughts? I don't know. They just look like the sweet 1990s couple, right? They do. I, I, I'm having a hard time seeing any crazy eyes here, to be honest with you. Okay, because you don't know if she's crazy or not. I just wanted to see if you could tell. No, I don't, I don't know if she's crazy or not, but the, the, when you ask me that, it usually turns out that they're the shithead, so Fair. we'll see. <laughs> okay, so back to the story. Now that we've done the crazy eye check, at least Chase's crazy <laughs> eye check. Okay, so like I said... Michelle and Butch were on again, off again the entire time they were together. Mm -hmm. So during one of these off weeks, Butch actually started hanging out with Lori. Oh, okay. They hung out for about a week. And it's reported that this hanging out period was abruptly ended by reports of Lori saying Butch had sexually assaulted and date raped her. God. All right. <clears throat> so after that comes out, Butch just gets back with Michelle, especially because Michelle was actually pregnant with Butch's child at this time. Awesome. We're starting off complicated. Mm-hmm. And Michelle, Michelle and Butch, they live together, correct? Yes. Okay. So I don't know if when they were off, they still lived together or if one of them went somewhere else and slept on a friend's couch or what. I don't know. If that happened. Okay. So when Butch and Lori had broke up, Lori admitted the sexual assault to her mother, Hazel. They then reported this to the police. But because of something we're going to talk about really quick, Lori actually was scared to pursue charges and just wanted the whole thing to go away and wanted nothing to do with it, which really sucks. Yeah. So what was going on is Butch got back with Michelle Michelle is pregnant with Butch's child. Michelle found out that during that off week, Butch and Lori had hung out. So Michelle starts taunting and accusing and bullying Lori, stating that she wanted to, quote, steal her man, and Lori was just planning on ruining Michelle and Michelle's baby's life. So your crazy detector determined that might be a lie. <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe a little bit. I don't, I don't know. Could maybe... Blame your man a little. <laughs> right? <laughs> I, the... I mean, they, they were off that week, but still, yeah, about... I don't know. And then, of course, Michelle is saying that Lori lied about being sexually assaulted, and Lori just wants to have Butch all to herself. And in reality, Lori is just... She probably, she just said, dude, fuck this guy. He's uh, assaulting me. Yeah. I don't, I don't want any anything to do with him yeah he's an asshole get mm. him out oh you said asshole first this episode i did i get a prize right that's what we <laughs> <laughs> michelle is taunting and bullying Lori. this is going on and going on when asked later hazel show the mom Lori's mom actually recalls that michelle would constantly call the house just over and over and over and whether it didn't matter whether they picked up the phone or not, if they picked up the phone, Michelle would be yelling and screaming at them, stating all these horrible things about Lori. Or if they wouldn't pick up the phone, Michelle would just call over and over and over and over and over. Doesn't she have anything to do? I Does guess not. Better, better things to do. She's not with going your time? to. She's not going to school. I'll tell you that. 
And then this is the 90s, too, so it's the house phone. So you can, he- and they're at an, ap- like, they live in an apartment, so you can hear it throughout the yeah, whole place. Yeah, it would just be, like, leave the phone off the hook, you know what I mean? Yeah. So because of all this, Hazel had to change the home number at least once and unlist them from the phone book. Uh-huh. I mean, when I first read this, I forgot that this took place in 1991. I don't know if I said that at the beginning. I don't know. But that's where we are. We're in 1991. Okay. So when I read phone book, I got confused for a second that people were still using phone books. But <laughs> this was literally when phone books were a big deal. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. so after Hazel getting the number unlisted and changing it, Michelle couldn't call Lori and taunt her anymore. So she decided to up the ante. So Michelle started stalking Lori while she was at work. Lori worked at this young girl's clothing store called a Deb store. Okay. I guess it was like a chain of stores back in the 90s. It's like Forever 21 type thing. Okay. So John, Lori's dad, remembers that during this time, Lori would, quote, get real nervous and upset and actually had wanted to go different directions to and from work. Uh, So Michelle wouldn't see when Lori would arrive and leave work or like which direction she would go. Right. And she's pregnant the whole time? She is pregnant. Jeez. Oh, get a life, man. Right? When I was pregnant, I didn't, I didn't have energy to tie my own shoes. Like, <laughs> Let alone stalk somebody. Exactly. I wore flats and four inches of snow because I was not tying shoes. Crazy. So, yeah. So, she's doing all of this while pregnant, which I don't know how she found the energy to do all of this. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, sometime in November of 1991, Lori was at the shopping center that... Her work was at, mm-hmm. where that Deb shop was, but she was just hanging out with some friends. And Michelle and Butch pulled up to the group. So it's kind of like an outlet mall where there was parking in the front, and then in the middle there was parking. Okay. So Michelle and Butch pull up to the group, and they're kind of in front of the stores by that parking you can pull right up to the store at. Mm-hmm. So Michelle gets out of the car, starts yelling at Lori, slaps her, and then actually grabbed her head and slammed it into the cab of a parked truck that was right there. Oh my god, is she even talking to this butch guy anymore? Like, Lori? She... No, she has nothing to do with him at this point. Oh my goodness. She is having nothing. She didn't even pursue the charges of the sexual assault or anything. She just wants all of this to go away. Mm-hmm. Like she's taking different routes to and from work. She's trying to avoid her at all costs, and Michelle is just seeking her out. So after that incident, Michelle is also reported by witnesses and Lori's friends to have said, quote, if something happens to my baby or my baby dies, I'm going to kill you, end quote. Oh, my God. Well, we just, like, why don't you relax a little? You're four or five-ish months pregnant at this point. Yeah, you're going to hurt the baby. You keep, like, going around slamming people's heads into things. Right? God. Ridiculous. It's terrible. So after this incident, Hazel and Lori file a harassment charge against Michelle. And this is all happening in November, right around Thanksgiving. Yeah, I mean, as they should. Yeah, as they should. However, for whatever reason, the Lancaster police did not start to even investigate this charge in this report until December 16th. A month? Is it a month later? Well, Thanksgiving's like the last-ish week of November. Yeah. So like two weeks. Mm-hmm. Two, two and a half weeks. But they were actually, like they had a warrant out for Michelle's arrest to 
have her come and talk and get her side and see what was happening at least. Uh, but they were unable to find her immediately. Well, if they just hung out with Lori for a minute, maybe they would have found her. <laughs> yeah, they probably would. So that was December 16th is when they started looking for Michelle. And they're like, oh, I can't find her. Like, we don't know where she is. She's not at school. She doesn't have a job. So that was December 16th. So we'll skip forward a little bit, a couple days, to December 19th. Okay. And in the evening, so December 19th, 1991, Hazel Show gets a phone call from the guidance counselor at Lori's school. The guidance counselor says that Lori was involved with an incident at school with a boy and that she'd like to speak to Hazel about it at 7 o'clock the following morning. Okay. So Hazel agrees to meet the guidance counselor even though when asked, Lori swears that she hasn't done anything. Like, she doesn't know what the guidance counselor is talking about. Hazel says, okay, I'm sure you're right. I'm still going to go meet with them because I'm your parent. I'm responsible for you. Right. That sort of thing. So the next morning on December 20th, Hazel leaves a little bit before 7 to go meet with the guidance counselor and leaves Lori getting ready for the last day of school before winter break because it's now December 20th. Christmas is in almost a week. Mm-hmm. Hazel drives to the school, waits about 10 minutes. Guidance counselor isn't there. Their front office doesn't have any record of an appointment or anything like that. Oh, no. So Hazel leaves and drives the 10-ish minute drive back to her apartment. Uh, I don't like that. So as Hazel pulls back into the complex that she lives in, she starts to head up the stairs because they lived on the second floor. Uh-huh. The first floor neighbor that lived under them or catty corner from them, but the first floor, stops Hazel and says, Hey, I heard a commotion coming from your apartment. And Hazel thought nothing of this. I mean... Lori's 16, teenagers cause a commotion, so she had no worries. She just was like, oh, okay, thanks for telling me, and goes up the stairs. <sighs> so when Hazel gets to the, up to the stairs and to the apartment door, she sees that it's open, and she says that, quote, her stomach turned and she knew something was wrong, end quote. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So Hazel gets to the door, calls for Lori. There's no answer. She goes to Lori's bathroom. Lori's not there. She goes to Lori's bedroom, and this is where Hazel finds her daughter laying on the floor with a rope around her neck. Mm. Covered in blood. So, he, <sighs> uh, so Hazel runs to the kitchen, grabs a knife, and cuts the rope from around Lori's neck. When she does this, Lori actually like moans or makes a noise that's saying, like, hey, I'm still alive sort of thing. Okay, good. Hazel had, had some medical training in the past and realized that Lori probably wasn't going to make it from this because when the rope was cut off, Hazel noticed there was a five-inch slash across her daughter's throat, and it was about an inch deep, and that's where all the blood was coming from. Oh. So Hazel says that she realized this was probably the last time she would be able to talk to her daughter, so she just held her and cradled her and was just sitting on the floor with her. Uh, Shit. Yeah. I can't imagine doing this Mm-mm. hazel asked Lori who had done this to her and Lori's response was michelle so with Lori's final breaths she repeats i love you i love you i love you until she can only mouth the words and then that's it oh god 
That's horrendous. Yeah. So when asked about this later, Hazel actually says that being with her daughter when she passed was a blessing because she couldn't imagine what she would have done if she had just gotten a phone call and wouldn't have been able to be there with Lori. And then she also thinks it might have helped Lori instead of, oh, I'm dying alone. What's my mom? All of the, like, what is she going to do? All of that. Right. Hazel believes that it was more comforting for Lori for Hazel just to hold her. God. I know. I know. <sighs> okay. So Lori was pronounced dead on the scene once medical professionals had arrived. All right. Law enforcement officers immediately start interviewing friends of both Lori and Michelle because Hazel's there to say, hey, Lori told me Michelle did this. This is Lisa Michelle Lambert. She has been stalking my daughter for months and gives them the whole spiel of what's happening. Mm-hmm. That's good. That's great. Mm-hmm. Yep. So they were all, the police were also told by those interviewed, the friends that they were interviewing, that Michelle had actually gone to certain people and tried to recruit them to help her with a kidnapping plot that involved kidnapping Lori, taking her to Lancaster into the city, tying her to a pole in the middle of a park, and cutting her hair off and then leaving her stranded. God, what a fruit loop, man. Yeah. Good lord. So later that day, kind of evening into night, Michelle and Butch were found at a bowling alley in the neighboring town by police officers. Mm-hmm. I know you're getting excited for this part now, huh? You well, were... yeah, but also it's like these people, they, let's go bowling now. Yeah. That's what we're doing. Yeah, we just. Yeah, it's just like, let's go bowling. Yep, let's go bowl. Oh, my God. Okay. So with Butch and Michelle was 17-year-old Tabitha Buck, who police had noticed had a scratch across her cheek. When police asked Tabitha what had happened to her cheek, Michelle butted in and answered for her and said that they had gotten into a fight with some Hispanic girls earlier that morning. Mm-hmm. That was kind of police's response, so all three of them were picked up and brought down to the station. Good, good. So now we have some confessions and interrogations. Of course, yep. So let's start with Butch's side of things. Okay. So Butch confesses to police pretty quickly that he had dropped both of the girls, Tabitha and Michelle, near the show's apartment and then had gone to McDonald's and waited for them to open. He had to wait for them to open because they opened at 7 or something. Oh, okay. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say, so did he know that they were going to do something terrible or not? So that's what I was about to say. You're always right there (laughs) ahead of me. (laughs) Dang it. Sorry. Don't be sorry. I like that you're, I don't know, into it. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm trying to figure it out. Yeah, that's a better way to say that. So Butch stated that he actually thought the plan was just to scare Lori and cut her hair off. Why cut her hair off? That's so, that's so weird. I don't know. I was listening to another podcast cover, cover this case. I don't remember which one, but they had actually mentioned that when they were in high school around the 80s and 90s, there was some mean girls who had threatened to cut their hair, hair off. Really? Yeah, so I don't know if hair was a big, like, make you or break you kind of thing in the 80s or 90s, or... Interesting. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, so that's what Butch thought the plan was going to be. At least that's what he stated to the police. He also stated he had returned roughly 15, 20 minutes later to pick the girls back up at a 
predetermined spot. When he first got to this meeting spot, the girls were not there. So Butch did like another lap and was able to find them that second go around and mm -hmm. picked him up. He says that when the girls got into the car, Michelle had had blood on her hand and both of them, quote, smelled funny. They smelled funny? That's what he told police. And when asked about this, he says he couldn't describe it. It just smelled funny. Okay. So I don't, I don't know. That's interesting. Yeah. So then because they smelled funny, he drove the girls back to the trailer, let them take showers and get cleaned up, get a new set of clothes, and then he took Tabitha to school. Okay, so it's because they smelled funny, not because of the blood? Well, he says Michelle only had blood on her hand. Okay. Either way, Tabitha went to school after whatever happened. What an insane thing. I'm just thinking about, the, you know... Butch knows the girl too, and apparently mm -hmm. he, you know, he was. What the? What is he doing? Why would you agree to that? I don't know. God, man up, dude. Jesus. And also that she's nuts. The whole thing. I'm just like, what the hell is happening? You. He knows who it is. And then he still agrees, like, yeah, well, you guys can go like cut her hair or do something mean or whatever you're gonna do. Yeah. But this is all his fault. Yeah. Okay, moving uh, on. Yep, I don't know. Okay, so he takes Tabitha to school. Well, because Tabitha's 17, it's still the last day before winter break. So yeah, Tabitha, and she, she goes to school after this. She goes to school. Oh, my God. So while Tabitha's at school, Michelle and Butch take the clothes that Michelle and Tabitha had been wearing, put them into a pink trash bag, and threw them into a dumpster behind a local Kmart. Okay. They then threw the knife and some bloody tennis shoes into a nearby river. Okay, this is all some very, very specific information, and Butch is telling us this? Mm -hmm. Yep, okay. Butch is telling the police this. So after doing all of this, Michelle then tells Butch that her and Tabitha had accidentally stabbed Lori in the back, and she couldn't breathe, so they slit her throat to put her out of pain. Wow. Mm-hmm. What the hell? And he's just, like, going along with this? They told him that after they were disposing of evidence? Well, Tabitha's at school, so this is just Michelle. Okay, it's just Michelle and Butch, and they're just, they're they're throwing things away mm -hmm. and all that shit. So now she's, she's just kind of telling him, like, uh, maybe Butch was like, so why are we throwing away, like, these shoes and stuff? Like... I'm thinking he is an idiot. I'm sorry, but this is just the way, his character in my head. Yeah. Is just, he's like, like, whatever, dude. Like, yeah, I. Oh, why are we throwing away those shoes? And it's like, oh, I, I accidentally, we, we stabbed her in the back. Like, come on. Yeah, I don't know. All right. Um, well, either way, it's good information that he's telling people. So I guess that's a good thing. Yeah. But I don't know. I don't either. And then I saw some reports, but I couldn't find like a reputable one that so a couple people had said the knife was actually a bread knife like from a knife block a oh. bread knife okay how do you stab someone with a bread knife that thing's long yeah well i mean i guess that depends on the type of bread knife i guess i don't know i don't know i've never really contemplated stabbing anyone fair um i just feel like you'd want yeah. like the classic like the scream one you know, because it's... Yeah, like a butcher knife. Yeah. That's what they always show in the movies and shit. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. I don't know. 
Anyway, so Butch also told police that the night before the murder, on December 19th, he had gone with Michelle to Kmart and picked up a couple items that mm. Michelle would later the next day bring to Lori's apartment. And these items included rope, ski masks, and gloves. Okay. Yeah, that sounds like a like a haircutting kit for sure. Definitely. Come on, dude. He's dumb. Why would you do that? I don't know. Mm-hmm. But this is all what he is telling police. And we're supposed to believe he had no idea that it was going to go this badly. And, oh, no, we everything's way worse than, than I thought it was going to be. Yeah. Come you'll, on. You'll see as we keep going through, it's definitely a he said, she said, she said sort of situation. It's always like that. Yeah. So officials had gone to search these areas that Butch had told them where the evidence would be. And they found it. So this all backed up Butch's story. They found the pink trash bag. They found the knife as well as the shoes in a riverbank. Okay, well, he's telling the truth about something. That is. There were also witnesses that stated they had seen Butch at McDonald's earlier that morning. Because like I said, he was there right when it opens. That's the perfect way to establish an alibi if you're waiting for the doors to open Mm. to get your egg McMuffin. Yeah. So that was Butch's side of things. He's either real smart or he's really stupid, and I can't figure it out. Yeah, I, I don't know. Mm-hmm. So let's move on and carry on. Okay. I was going to say keep calm and carry on, but there's no calm about any of this. Oh, I know. I'm, I'm getting a little riled up here. Yeah. So let's hear what Michelle has to say about all of this. Mm-hmm. So Michelle says that while she was at Lori's apartment that morning, Tabitha had been the one had that had done the killing. Oh, didn't see that coming. So police immediately didn't believe this because now that they have the clothes, this version of the story didn't match the clothes Michelle had already said that she had been wearing that morning. Say that again. So Michelle had told police before getting her account of what all happened, like before they found the clothes, Michelle had said, oh, I was wearing this, this, and this. And then when the police got the clothes and looked at them they were like oh well you said you were wearing like the gray sweatpants but the blood spatter on those don't match you not killing her sort of thing oh okay okay so when confronted with this michelle changes her story and says oh i was lying i didn't have those clothes on i had the other ones on that you found (laughs) so she knows oh my god so at this point, yeah, she knows that Butch had told police where to find the clothes. Because <sighs> Tabitha was at school, she doesn't know where the clothes went. Yeah, that would make sense. God. Okay. So Michelle also confesses that it was her idea to go and visit Lori. So she could, quote, go talk to her and say that she had forgiven Lori for everything, end quote. Yep, that's why you're bringing, like, rope and a ski mask and all that other shit, right? But also... So Michelle could tell Lori that Michelle had forgiven Lori? Yeah, because Lori was the, the offender here. Lori is the agitator, yeah. Mm-hmm. I can't believe this. I'm sorry, nothing's funny about this. I'm just, the only reason that I'm laughing is because of how stupid these people are. Yeah. Like, that is, the some of this stuff, it is the most ridiculous stuff. No, it's horrific, this entire story, but then... <sighs> Just the stupidity and what people that do things think they can get away with and say that'll clear their asses. Yeah, it's ridiculous. That's what's funny about this. So according to Michelle's statement, Tabitha... Which one? 
Well, she's on, this is her first time telling the story, mm-hmm. not what she's wearing, because we've already changed that now. Okay. So this is the story, how it, how it played out that morning. Mm-hmm. So she says that Tabitha knocks on Lori's door. Lori answers, and Tabitha pushes her way inside the apartment with Michelle following behind. She says that a scuffle had began between Tabitha and Lori that eventually leaded them into Lori's bedroom. So once inside Lori's bedroom, Michelle states that Lori tried to grab her phone. You know, like you would have a phone in your room so you wouldn't have to take the calls in the dining room or wherever the Mm -hmm. regular home phone was. Yeah. I mean, ours didn't have cords on it anymore when we got around to having home phones. but Mine did. Oh, did it? Yeah. Oh, mine... I don't think mine ever did, well, at least as long as I was taking phone calls. I guess I'm dating myself here, but I definitely did. I had a rotary phone in my house. We had one up on the wall, but it didn't work. It was literally for decoration. Nice. <laughs> All right. My mom was a classy lady. We had a wooden rotary clock on the wall for decoration. Very nice. <laughs> okay, and so then, she's trying to get the phone. Yep. So Lori grabs the phone. Uh, Tabitha knocks it out of her hand and starts stabbing Lori. So Michelle's quote about this is, quote, her face was red like she was having a hard time breathing, end quote. And that Michelle had seen Tabitha stab Lori in the back. Because Michelle's watching all of this, remember? Yeah, I'm sure she is. Allegedly, Mm -hmm. yeah. She also states that Lori's body was jerking and Michelle just didn't know what to do. She was kind of frozen in place. So she just left the apartment. She just ran out. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. So when police asked Michelle who had cut Lori's throat, Michelle responded with, quote, Oh, my God. I was totally in shock. That was when I believed her that she was dead, end quote. What? Yeah. Okay. So I think that's a confession. I mean, she says... I was in shock. That's when I believed her. Speaking of Tabitha, that Lori was dead. Okay. So I couldn't find any other clarification on that, whether that was a confession, whether it wasn't. Mm. So Michelle also states that she wanted to help Lori, but was too scared of Tabitha. So she kind of just watched this whole thing unfold. Mm-hmm. Why would Tabitha have a problem with her? I don't know. There's literally nothing that There's... I could find. There's no motive here. Mm-mm. Okay. Okay, so are you ready for Tabitha's side of the story? Yeah. Well, too bad, because upon recommendation from her lawyer, she did not give a statement. She didn't say shit. She didn't say shit. Oh, my God. Come on, man. <laughs> so the charges. Oh, no. What? Yep. No, I want to know more about Tabitha. <laughs> I want to know how she's, like, feeling that she's being thrown under the bus here. She declined to give a statement. Wow. Leave it up to the courts, is what she said. She gave him a middle finger and said, I'll leave it up to the courts. Go fuck yourself. Wow. Okay. I mean, the lawyer told her to not speak, so she didn't. Right. Is the real case. Okay. So the charges, Tabitha and Michelle were both charged with first-degree murder. Your buddy Butch, Mm -hmm. he cuts a deal and agrees to testify against the girls because police were unable to place him at the scene because they had witnesses saying he was at McDonald's, but they didn't have anyone to say he was at the apartment complex. Okay. That's interesting. So what did he get then? So we'll, we'll get there. Okay. So in March of March 19th of 1992, Michelle gives birth to her and Butch's baby. 
Mm-hmm. She names her Kirsten. And the baby is placed with Michelle's parents because Butch and Michelle are both in prison. Okay. Awaiting trial. You know, hindsight is twenty twenty here. But it she is. She would have just left Lori alone, you know? Mm-hmm. With Michelle having given birth in March, that puts her at about six months when Lori was murdered. She's six months pregnant doing these things. That's insane. Again, I don't know where she finds the energy. That's ridiculous. Okay, so we're going to start with Tabitha's trial. All right. Do we know anything about that? Yes. Okay. We know her trial. On July 9th, Tabitha, who was set to face her trial in September, she enters a plea to be tried as a juvenile because she's 17. Mm-hmm. Or she was at least 17 when the murders occur- murder occurred. Okay. If this request was granted, it would not only take the death penalty off the table, it would actually allow for her release in pr- from prison in as little as four years. Okay. So that request was denied. She was tried as an adult. Well, yeah, she was there. Mm-hmm. You know, at any at any rate, you're there. Exactly. On September twenty second of nineteen ninety two, so about ten months after the murder, Tabitha's trial began. A week later, tri- her trial was over. She had been found guilty of second degree murder and was sentenced to life in prison, without the possibility of parole. Okay. And then Tabitha immediately begins appealing her case, as right. you're able to do. Okay, so now we'll go to Butch's trial. Okay. Tabitha's sentenced away life in prison. Got it. So Butch actually puts in a no-contest plea to third-degree murder. That was his deal, was third-degree murder. The no-contest plea means that Butch believed the facts prosecutors would have pre- presented against him at trial would have led to a conviction by a jury. Him. He testifies against Michelle and Tabitha, mm-hmm. and then he gets sentenced 10 to 30 years in prison for third-degree murder. Okay. So let's go to Michelle's trial. Okay. I'm excited for this one. So Michelle was actually tried before Tabitha. I just knew you needed something about Tabitha. Yeah. So I had to let you know that one first Mm -hmm. so in july michelle actually waives her right to a jury of her peers and elected to have a judge hear a case and be the deciding factor interesting i think it was out of fear for the death penalty that makes sense Mm -hmm. so the prosecution in this trial says michelle had planned and committed the murder of Lori, so michelle should die for it like they are going for this death penalty Mm mm-hmm Uh, Police had found the knife in the riverbank where Butch had said that it would be. The knife used actually matched the knife set at Michelle and Butch's trailer. Okay. Neighbors of Lori testified that they had seen two women around the same height in leaving and around the area of Lori's apartment that morning. Right. And Tabitha and Michelle are about the same height. Right. So throughout the trial, blame for killing shifted. Michelle's attorneys attempted to first discredit Butch, then asserting that Tabitha was solely responsible for the murder, and Michelle only did only watched. The There's killing. no motive. Mm-hmm. What is the motive? Well, they first tried to say it was Butch. That would make more sense from a defense like perspective, mm-hmm. but 
There's but, no motive for Tabitha. Yeah. I don't even know who she is. Yeah, but when they had no evidence again, like saying that it was Butch or not enough evidence, they switched it and said it was Tabitha because Tabitha hadn't entered a plea or, or hadn't entered a statement. Well, that certainly doesn't look like a very good defense at that point. Yeah. So there was an unexpected twist in this trial. A defense witness testified that Lori had written the initials TB in her own blood as she was dying, indicating that Tabitha was responsible for her killing. Tabitha's last name is Buck, so Mm -hmm. TB. This testimony contrasted what Hazel had gotten on the stand and said that her daughter, Lori, had implicated Michelle as the murder with her dying breaths. So on July 22nd, on July 20th, excuse me, Michelle was found guilty of first-degree murder. She was sentenced to life in prison. They did take the death, the judge took the death penalty off the table. One, for her youth, as well as she might be able to be some sort of influence in her daughter's life, even if it was going to be from prison. Michelle immediately begins appealing her case. Of course. And I bet you think we're done. (laughs) I don't anymore. (laughs) Well, that's good. So, in our case that we talked about in Pennsylvania a couple years back, we had spoken where the U.S. Supreme Court had come out in 2012 that said any minor that was given a life sentence needs to be resentenced. Correct? You remember? Right. Yep, I do remember. So, we're back in Pennsylvania. Mm -hmm. Tabitha was a minor. So, she gets resentenced in 2017. She gets resentenced to 28 years to life. And they're including... To count up to that 28, they're including the 25 she's already been incarcerated for. So she's eligible for parole three years from this resentencing. In 2020? Mm-hmm. Wow. Okay. Or 2019, excuse me. So she had been in for 26 years. Okay, got it. That was my bad math. So in December of 2019, Tabitha was granted parole after serving 28 years in prison for first-degree murder. What is this? You... <laughs> She's out, then? She is out and walking. Mm. So we'll go to Butch. Okay. So from everything I can find, it had been reported that Butch was a model prisoner. He had taken full advantage of all the rehabilitation programs. He's the guy that wasn't convicted of being at the scene of this crime. So he is released on parole. And then he had to report to a parole officer until the end of 2011, which completed his sentence. Okay. So he is a completely free man, not parole, probation, anything like that. So Tabitha and Butch are out, out and among the living. Okay. So we'll go to Michelle. I'm not too excited about about that. I don't, I don't know enough about this Tabitha person. I know. There's really nothing... I mean, Which I think just did, sounds like a person that just does whatever you tell him to do. Yeah. That's what I'm getting from it. I don't know. That's really interesting that you say that, by the way. So as I had told you, Michelle be- immediately begins appealing her case. Right. So in 1997, she writes a letter to a federal judge. He is Judge Stuart Dalzell and says, hey, here's everything that happened in my case. Nothing was right. Will you hear my trial? And he says, yeah, yeah, I'll hear it. And not only does he say, yeah, I'll hear your case in a habeas corpus hearing, but I'm also going to send your letter and let this really well-known Philadelphia defense lawyer about your case. So then the, defen- the judge sends the defense lawyer 
Michelle's information and what happened and everything of that nature, and the defense lawyers decide to take her case on pro bono and defend her. Wow. Step one for Michelle's new defense attorneys are that they want to change how the world is seeing her. So Michelle Lambert, who has blonde hair and blue eyes, remember I showed you the picture? Mm -hmm. She had actually been wearing blue contacts and bleaching her hair. So part of this rebranding is no more bleaching the hair. We're going to go back to the natural brown hair. We're going to stop wearing the contacts. So we have brown eyes, brown hair. And she's going to start going by her first name, Lisa, now. Oh, my goodness. This is crazy. Yep. I didn't even think this was a thing that they did. That's nuts. Yep. So her new defense law lawyers also claim that there were several inconsistencies with the evidence and testimony given in the earlier trial back in 92, and that Lisa is innocent. Lisa claims that she had been framed by Lancaster police officers in order to keep her from coming forward with charges that they had all gang-raped her. What? Yep. Sit. Holy shit, say that one more time. So Lisa says that she was framed by Lancaster police, like they framed her for Lori's murder, because about six months before the murder, so back in June, these a couple police officers had gang-raped Michelle. Now, now the police? Now, now the it's police. the police flame framing her? Yes. What? Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. This is like making a murderer. This is... <sighs> this is insane. I can't even think of words about that. I know. That I... is the craziest thing I've ever heard. Mm -hmm. Is there, is there any sort of substantiated evidence to prove any of this? Is there anything? So not about the gang rape. So as the defense lawyers are going through everything, they do notice that the prosecutors in the original 1992 trial actually did withhold evidence from the original defense lawyers, which is unlawful. And right. Yeah, that's you can't do that. Yep. So because of that and a couple other things, federal judge Dalzell actually overturns the murder conviction. Holy shit. Which is completely within his rights. So typically in a habeas corpus hearing, uh, a defendant will go and say, hey... This is what's happened. They'll hear the case, and the judge has the power to say, you either get a lesser sentence or you should be released. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of what's happening here. He overturns the murder conviction on April 15, 1997, citing that prosecutorial misconduct had resulted in an incorrect ruling. Dalzell releases Lisa Michelle Lambert from prison and also bars the state of Pennsylvania from ever retrying her for this murder holy shit in 97 you said in 97 you gotta be shitting me so this is before tabitha and, and yeah they're they're still in prison what a what the hell sorry i don't know what to say i can't i don't understand so i mean i understand i guess but i think that that's is my opinion that that is bullshit I don't, uh, why would they, that's so, that's so crazy to me. Now the police have framed her. Well, that's, so the judge didn't. I know, okay. but that's, that's the claim, right? That they did throw that in there. They said yep. that the police gang raped her mm -hmm. and framed her. Yep. Also, the evidence was a little fucked up or whatever, but yep. that's, what, what? 
So you're not the only one that thinks this shouldn't be happening. So the state courts, mm-hmm. remember Dalzell is a federal judge. Right. The state courts say Michelle Lisa Michelle Lambert had no right to be in your court yet because she had not exhausted her court her state court appeals yet. She skipped steps. So oh, okay. Dalzell's ruling is actually overturned. Oh my god, you gotta knock it off with this. You're killing me here. Oh <laughs> my god. Okay. Okay. So Dalzell's ruling is overturned in January of ninety eight by a federal appeals panel that heard the state side that says Lisa has not exhausted her state appeals yet. And Lisa is taken back to prison ten months after being released. Oh good. God. <laughs> Oh my hell. Are you okay? Oh, there's too many twists. This is craziness. Yeah, this one's definitely insane. So in February of 98, a month after she goes back to prison, mm-hmm. Michelle files an appeal for a hearing over the second overturning of the verdict. Because remember, Dalzell overturned it and said she could go free. And then the federal appeals courts overturned that and said, no, you're back to jail. Okay, so got it. Michelle is appealing that life sentence. She wants to be free. Right. She was denied. Good, good. So a little while later, in 1998, she is granted a new trial because of all this evidence okay. that was not brought up. Got it. She now testifies that Butch had participated in the murders and he had choked Lori. Michelle also states that she had attempted to defend Lori against the other two and that she had tried to pull Lori out of the apartment during the attack. The defense also argues that Michelle had not participated in this act, that she had been sent out of the apartment and back down to the car by Butch, and that Michelle had obeyed Butch blindly because she was a battered woman. Hmm. Okay. So other things presented in this trial, Michelle's lawyers actually, to corroborate that battered woman syndrome... Michelle's lawyers presented correspondence between Michelle and Butch that the defense claimed had proved that Michelle had not been involved in the murder and Butch had asked her to lie for him. So this is what is now known as the 29 questions, and I'll post a picture of it on our social media for everyone who wants to read it. And it's pretty much just 29 questions that Lori had sent to Butch while they were both in prison asking things like, are you sure I'll get a lesser sentence if I take the rap for you and butch responds with something along the lines of yes or sure and when this letter is first brought out butch says oh that's not my handwriting that's forged and then they bring in a handwriting expert and they're like no that's your handwriting this is insane it's weird there's a lot of stuff in this so the defense also questioned whether or not Lori would have been able to actually speak with her mother before her death because of the injuries to her throat and had alleged that Lori had actually written out the initials of her murderers, TB, but it wasn't for Tabitha Buck, it was Tabitha and Butch. Mm. How is this possible? I'm getting confused now here. Okay. Are we trying to are they trying to say that that Butch told her to do all of this? That's what the defense we're using here. The main thing is that Butch is the mastermind behind all this he's saying or what what is going on so in order to can for like a jury and everything you have to have a unanimous guilty especially with life and the death penalty of course 
with like you have the jury has to say yes without a shred of doubt this is what we believe so we're just casting doubt so the defense gets to throw darts at all the walls and see which ones stick okay and say well it could have been this or could have been this it's not the defense's job to say this is what happened it's the defense's job to say my client did not do this it's the prosecution's job to say this is what happened right so as long as the defense casts enough doubt they won't be able to, without a shred of doubt, convict Michelle. So that is what the defense is trying to do. Okay. Does that make more sense? Yeah, it's just, it's weird. It's weird all these things are, mm-hmm. it just seems like so much. So with all of this happening, and the defense throwing every single dart they could possibly think of at this board, Tabitha comes out of the woodwork. Okay. She decides to testify against Michelle. She says... You are not getting out of prison before me. Okay. Tabitha's testimony is that she denies all these claims that Michelle is saying, testifies that Michelle had actively participated in the murder, and that she had actually instructed Tabitha to, quote, wear her hair up and not to wear any makeup or fingernail polish, end quote. Hmm. Tabitha states that she did have a role to play in the murder. She held Lori's legs down while Michelle attacked Lori. Okay. So in August of 1998, Judge Stengel, who was overseeing this trial, announces his verdict. He states that he would uphold the original guilty verdict against Michelle and that, quote, even if he believed her story, she would still be guilty of first-degree murder as an accomplice, end quote. Right. Jeez. Ah, okay. So she is still in prison as of 1998, you're giving me that look. <laughs> I'm sorry. No, you're good. This is a lot. You've I was really throwing you through a few loops here. You keep saying all kinds of twists and turns, and I'm like, oh my god, what else could happen here? I know. I would stop <clears throat> asking that question. See? <laughs> oh. As of the 1998 trial, she is in prison, still serving out her life sentence. Mm-hmm. And then she continues to use all of her appeals, including finally getting to go up to the federal judge. Um, federal, federal judge Dalzell actually recused himself of hearing her case because of the entire thing that had happened in 97. Right, he's not going to do it again. Exactly. So he recuses himself. Federal judge Anita Brody hears the case. She upholds the verdict of life in prison. Okay. And Michelle exhausts all of her appeals by 2005. She is in there. Okay. Officially. Like, Michelle currently sits in prison to this day, carrying out her life sentence. Jeez, man. She almost got out. That's crazy. She was out for 10 months. Yeah, she was out there before the other two. Mm Mm-hmm. That is crazy. At that point, she had only served six years. Wow. Yeah. So after Lori's death in 1991, Hazel Show actually started campaigning for stronger anti-stalking laws in Pennsylvania that have come to help countless people since then. Lori's murder has helped push forward anti-stalking legislation with new laws that were signed into effect as early as 1993, and they just keep continuing to progress, and Hazel keeps continuing to do this advocacy work for anti-stalking laws. Excellent. So that is that is the story and the case of the murder of Lori Show. What a crazy group of people. 
Yeah. Every time we do one of these at the end, I'm like exhausted. I'm like, I'm, jeez. You've emotionally and mentally been through the ringer. Man, holy cow. So did we ever figure out when when the school had called her mother? Who who was that? It was Tabitha. It was Tabitha that did that. Because they knew Michelle's voice from right. harassing them on the phone. That's what I was wondering. Mm-hmm. So I the, had that question this whole time. So the weird part about that, though, is the phone number was registered to the school's count. It was the school counselor's phone number. Do you think that she went in there and called from the school counselor's phone? Yeah, I could see it happening. Crazy. Mm-hmm. So then here's a picture of Tabitha. Oh, man. Yeah, so that's Tabitha. And then you've seen the couple. Mm-hmm. Here is Lori. Oh, man. Yeah. And this is what Tabitha looked like as of her release in 2019. Mm-hmm. That is currently what Michelle looks like. Yeah, it's completely different. Mm-hmm. And that is what Butch looked like. He got rid of his mullet by the time he was released on parole. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so those are your characters, and that's what happened. Wow. That was nutty. Is there any any way we can help support any of those uh, things that... That Hazel has done? Yeah. So I couldn't find any links or anything directly. I just would say if you live in Pennsylvania and anytime like keep your eyes and ears open if there is any anti-stalking things that come up in the future or that need support definitely put your support in and i mean even if you're not in pennsylvania wherever you live yeah stalking is bad no matter where you live yeah and so it's actually one of the newer laws that they are trying to regulate stalking wise there have been that i know of like quite a few cases where there were no laws against stalking until something bad happened and then things started to kick up and they would actually make laws and legislatures around those things so all right you know that whole see something say something thing too crazy crazy yep so that's yep (laughs) do you need a drink i yeah i'm gonna have a drink now i think Well, this has been another episode of Late Night Murder. Thanks for listening. And again, thank you to our listener who suggested this case. We really appreciate those submissions. And if you want to submit your own case, whether you've heard the story multiple times and you just want to hear it again, or it's a case that you think needs more recognition, you can always go to the link in our bio on our social medias and click on case submission. To stay up to date on everything at Late Night Murder, You can follow us on social medias. You can find us on TikTok at Late Night Murder Podcast, at Twitter at LN Murder Podcast, Facebook and Instagram, Late Night Murder Podcast. I want to give a special thanks to the true crime community. You guys have been fantastic at supporting us so far in this podcast. If you guys could continue to rate and review the podcast on all your favorite platforms, that would be wonderful. You can find Late Night Murder Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Audible, or any other place you get your podcast from. Okay, see you guys next week. Bye, guys.